quick story, and again, many people who listen may recognise this, the number of times people have said to us, oh, you're so quiet, aren't you? You know, you wouldn't think it now listening to the two of us. But And in the past, I would have mumbled some kind of apology. Oh, yeah, sorry, you know. These days, I say something like, thank you for noticing. You know, one of my real strengths as an introvert is that I'm a great listener. And as I'm listening, it's not only to what's being said and what's not, it's what's not being said. So I can assimilate ideas and make sure everyone's included. And like, I can do that best when I'm quiet. So thank you for noticing. Hello, and welcome to episode 130 of the Quiet and Strong podcast, especially for introverts. I'm your host, David Hall, and the creator of QuietAndStrong.com. This is a weekly podcast dedicated to understanding the strengths and needs of introverts. Introversion is not something to fix, but to be embraced. Normally, we will air each episode on a Monday. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform. Leave a review. That would mean a lot to me. Tell a friend about the podcast. Help get the word out there that introversion is a beautiful thing. Joanna Robbone founded Flourishing Introverts to shift the extroversion bias by enabling introverted individuals to recognize and play to their natural strengths. Through coaching and training, Joanna enables introverts to access their full potential without pretending to be something they are not. I'm very excited to welcome my guest, Joe. Joe, welcome to the Quiet and Strong podcast. Thanks. It's a real pleasure to be to be here with you. Obviously, I've been following along for a while. We met couple of years ago maybe so our paths have crossed in and out for some time yeah absolutely I, I enjoy your work you know I've listened to your flourishing introvert talks podcast and you do some great work around introversion and we are on the same page on a lot of things so I'm excited to get into the work that you're doing and but before we do that let's just talk a little bit about your journey you know what how did you go how did you progress being an introvert and then now coaching and training and consulting with other introverts? Well, interestingly, my journey into training and coaching and facilitation started before I officially knew that I was an introvert. So it was when I was 29, I got my first job as a trainer. I was working with British Telecom in those days, our major telecoms provider. And I got a job as a trainer and facilitator when they implemented total quality management, which was all the thing back in the late 80s. I'm old enough, obviously, to have, to, you know, to, to have been part of that. And it wasn't until a few years after that into my 30s that I, I was on a women in leadership program. We did the standard Myers-Briggs type indicator, which I know it gets kicked but for most of my introvert guests, that's the first time that they take a, a personality or psychometric of some sort and go, oh, so there are other people like me. I'm not weird then. And so for me, it was a real revelation, that one little paragraph, and people might remember that if they've taken the MBTI instrument, is that, you know, it summed me up to a T, but... What it didn't do was help me own my introversion. What it highlighted beautifully was the difference between who I was and what I could then see as all my successful and entertaining 
fellow trainers and coaches and facilitators who, you know, had had them rolling down the aisles, as it were. And so what that led to was then two decades of pretending to be more extroverted in order to fit in and get on. In, because I was trying to emulate the people that I looked up to, the people that I wanted to be like. And you probably know where that's going to end up. Introvert burnout, which took me over three months to recover from. And it was then that I started to really own my introversion. And then wherever I was working around the world, because I've been running my own business since 94 as a trainer, coach, facilitator, wherever I worked around the world, I I finally got mad enough, is the way I describe it, noticing the same thing. Now, I know we notice what we're looking for. So yeah, I, I own that. But it was always the quiet ones who were overlooked and undervalued. And I just got so mad that I thought, right, I have to do something about this. I was then coming up into my late 50s, I suppose. And, and I had that moment of, well, if not now, when? If not me, who? And I just thought, right, I'm going to do this. And that was how Flourishing Introverts was born. Wow. I relate to so much of your story. It was probably, you know, and I, I got a degree in psychology in my 20s. And I, the journey was started, but I still didn't put a finger on, oh, I'm an introvert. There's good, great strengths with this. And then, yeah. you know, and I had probably, I had taken the Myers-Briggs during that time, but it was, it was when I took it again in a work environment and, and became a, you know, certified in it. And then also did a now called Clifton Strengths and, you know, yeah. did a lot of training on that. I realized, wow, not only am I an introvert, but there's great strengths. And I mean, that's the work that you and I are doing. It's like, yeah. it's not enough just to become aware, you know, it, it, that, and a lot of people think that's the goal. Like, all right, you know, what's my label, you know, it's getting beyond that and realizing, okay, what are my strengths and what are my needs? And again, yeah. I mean, you know, this was, this was in my thirties and, and you and I, we want to help people get to that awareness, but also, like you said, own it long before that so they could really play to their strengths and just what you said seeing people that are quieter not having their voice heard not using their strengths that's what drives me that's what drives me in the work that i do because i because introverts have so many great ideas so many things to share and when they're not able to do that because they don't understand their strengths that's that's what drives the work that i do yeah perfect we as you say we're on a very similar page very similar page there so yeah I'm sure we'll carry on talking about that yeah absolutely so what did you figure out were your strengths as an introvert uh, these are these are things that I've actually become much more finely attuned to over time actually and I'm also for me, a strength is not just something I'm good at. So I go back to that original thing about a strength is something that I'm good at, that I can do, that I love doing, because a strength is something that you can do to a consistently high standard over a long period of time. And there are things that I'm really good at that, frankly, I don't like particularly. So unless I'm in the right frame of mind, I'm probably not going to do them that well. Whereas there are also things that I love doing that I'm not particularly good at. So in those cases, neither of those really are a strength. But where we have the overlap, the things that I'm good at that I love doing, 
they're the things that I classify as a strength. So for me, it has to start with listening, I think. And if only more introverts would recognize the value in listening and how much actually in society, in business, in education, we need to listen better. And if we look at kind of Otto Sharma's four levels of listening, I get frustrated when all people are doing is kind of downloading, yeah, 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 you know, when they're not really listening. And for me, I think one of my strengths is moving up there to that kind of empathic and generative listening where I'm connecting with the individual and I can I can put myself in their shoes and imagine what it's like from their perspective. But also I can connect with the ideas and take that to a whole different place. So I think probably my number one strength has to be listening. And then there are all sorts of things that come along behind that. So I'm very pragmatic. I'm an ex-engineer. So when I was at BT, I was one of the few female engineers I was what they laughingly called a poles and holes girl. So I would climb the poles and to check for the wires and go down the manholes. So I'm, you know, that engineering background and the total quality management training I had, I suppose, really always gets me to think about, you know, what's the solution here? What what's the real problem? Not the presenting issue, what's the what's the underlying issue? So very pragmatic, very resourceful. And, and I think the other thing is that I'm calm. I have a, an ability to calm people, to calm situations. I don't like drama for drama's sake. I don't like conflict for conflict's sake. I will, I will stand up for myself, but I don't see it as sport. I see it as when there is a difference of opinion and those opinions need to be aired and explored, I will get into those kind of conversations. But on the whole, I'm this calm, optimistic, you know, positive thinker who who knows that actually we can all make a difference if, as you talk about, we own and play to our strengths. Yeah, absolutely. And that deep thinking. And again, if, if I had to say one thing for introverts, it's that we are deep thinkers. You know, we go inward more often than not. And that deep thinking, whether it's reflecting on something that you listen to or that's 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 the strength throughout you know yeah. and, and we all have different strengths is there another strength maybe that you don't have but you've seen in another introvert that you've worked with that's a, a really really good question actually and probably the one that I'd go to is thinking about Matthew Pollard and his ability to to sell and network with people networking is not one of my strengths I have to pre-charge massively to network. I have to have a real agenda as to why I'm going there and I can't wait for it to be over. Even though I've got all of the techniques, even though I've got my questions lined up in terms of, you know, how to get other people talking, I would love I would love to be more comfortable in the networking environment. And and the other thing that I admire is is introverts who can be spontaneous, more spontaneous. So back to that deep thinking, I really do have that think, say, think process and can rarely just kind of, you know, trip something off the top of my head. And I would love to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew's great. He's been on this show as well. And, you know, we can all get better at networking or, you know, he talks a lot about networking and sales. We can get better, but yeah, he truly has some gifts that 
that, you know, as, as better as I get, I, I'm not going to approach his level. So, yeah, we just need to appreciate those gifts and others. Yeah. And, and for me, it's not about it's not about then thinking I'm less than because I'm not like Matthew. I mean, let's face it. He's a fire hose of information, isn't he? He, he came yeah. on my podcast and it was like, whoa, it was it was, you know, full on. So one of the things that I've stopped doing is the comparisonitis. I mean, it creeps in every now and again when my inner critic gets a bit gobby. But, you know, mostly the comparisonitis I've dropped because I'm not comparing apples with apples. I'm comparing apples with pears or even potatoes. Who knows? So, you know, comparing ourselves really doesn't help, I don't think. Yeah. So where does someone start to become self-aware? How, how do you help someone through that process? I think the the first thing around for me developing self-awareness is curiosity and wanting to know more about ourselves. You know, I have what's lots of corporate clients who who actually aren't interested in developing self-awareness. You know, they're interested in in bringing in the business, they're interested in doing some of those things, but then they're not curious about who they are and how they show up and how they could be better. I class myself as a lifelong learner and the day I stop learning is probably the day I turn my toes up. And, and for me, it's, it's self-awareness starts with curiosity. You know, I wonder, I wonder how much of my potential I'm reaching. I wonder how I'm perceived by people. Now I find that a, there's a bit of a paradox for me there because I'm also a big fan of what Byron Katie says about what other people think about me is none of my business. And if I go and ask them, I think that's different than being obsessed by what people think about me. So I'm I'm happy not to be obsessed by what people think about me, but in order to raise my self-awareness, I really need to ask people to help me see what I can't see, to help hold the mirror up for me to see that. You know, we could go back to one of the oldest probably feedback tools in the box, the old Jahari window thing, and think about, you know, it takes somebody else to help me see into my blind spot. And that starts for me with curiosity and wanting to find out more, wanting to grow and develop. So that's probably the the place I would start with with developing self-awareness. Yeah. So what do you say to that person that you describe that doesn't necessarily want to develop a self-awareness? You know, why is it so important to learn to play to your strengths? Well, one of the things one of the things I have done more recently is really accepted the whole thing about you know, you can't coach somebody who doesn't want to be coached. If somebody's not up for learning or up for developing their self-awareness, no amount of me holding the mirror up going, look, 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 is actually going to help them with that. So I've learned to actually really let go of that and know that the people who want to grow and develop will come to me for it. So these days, and again, maybe it's because of my age now, but I'm more interested in pushing it open doors than I am hammering on them until somebody kind of reluctantly opens the door. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And, you know, we're, we're, we're going to talk a lot about introvert strengths and needs. You also talk about a lot about the extroversion bias. What is that? Mm-hmm. So 
I experienced this, bearing in mind I've, you know, worked in an organisation for the 19 years before I left and then been working with organisations for, God, 30 years now, ever since then. And one of the things that I notice is that in everyday practices and processes in organisations, things are set up in favour of the supposed supposed extrovert ideal, whoever decided that was the norm, goodness only knows. But from recruitment through to the whole interview stage, through to assessment centres, through to meetings being called spontaneously, you know, let's just get together with no clear agenda and let's hammer this out. Well, give me some time to think about my opinion, to do my research, to do my homework so that I know where I stand on things. And then the, you know, the the whole promotion, the career path with introverts often being classified as or considered to be unambitious because we're not pushing ourselves forward, saying, me, 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 I'll do that. I can do that. So there are there are so many places that the extroversion bias is lurking and often in plain sight if people choose to look. So one part of my business actually helps organizations see where that bias is. Because for me, the extroversion bias is an integral part of the DEI agenda, actually, because it is about where we're demonstrating bias and therefore not creating equity for all of the employees, for instance. So, you know, it's everywhere. And sadly, before the workplace, we see it in education. You know, I can imagine now, knowing what I was like as a child, that my parents probably in parents' evenings, you know, when you have to go along and the teacher tells you, tells your parents how great you've been or not, that my teachers would probably have been really concerned because I was quiet during the breaks at playtime, as we used to call it. I wouldn't be running around kind of you know, doing all the mad things that other kids did. Now I know that what I was probably doing was desperately trying to recharge my battery ready for the next lesson because I I am serious. I was studious, you know, I, I all of that stuff. So it mattered to me how I performed in school. But I can imagine my parents being told something like, we're worried about your Joanna. She's, she's not very good at mixing. So, you know, we see it in the education system. When I did my TEDx talk in 2019, my niece came along, who is a a teacher of 10-year-olds. And listening to my talk, one of the things she went away and did was she put in place a quiet table, not as a punishment for kids, but for the kids who were being distracted by the person next to them. So when they wanted to work quietly, they could take themselves away to the quiet table. And, you know, what a genius idea. And it's little things like that that will help shift the bias. Because if we wait until the workplace, we're then having to undo a lot of not okayness by the kids as they've grown up. Whereas if we actually tackle it in early years education, those introverted children will grow up knowing they're enough. And how beautiful will that be when they get on into the into the workplace then? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean... Yeah, when I was growing up, when you were growing up, there was no talk of introversion, extroversion. And no. I'm, I've, I've had a couple of teachers on my show and they both had written books. You know, one was an elementary teacher, one was a secondary teacher. And 
And they had some great strategies and it was encouraging. We need a lot more of that. But in both of their cases, it was, you know, let's have all voices heard in the classroom. And I just remember one, she said, she allowed the student to, she did a lot of work with, you know, videos like they could, the assignment, they could do a video at home and bring it back. And she said, one of the quietest kids being allowed to go do an assignment on his own time and do it how he wanted. It was the most brilliant thing she'd ever seen. But in class, he was very quiet. But anyway, there's a lot of good work going on. And talk a little bit more about bringing that in into DEI work. How do you do that? How do, how, how do we, you know, how do we show the personality type is, is something that fits in there? I, I think it's only by getting our voices into those DEI conversations, actually, with organizations on conferences, places like that, so that people really start to see that personality is an important element or aspect of, of the DEI agenda. And, you know, it's it's not just the extroversion, introversion thing, but if we accept that up to 50% of people identify as an introvert, and for me, that's not labeling. For me, that's useful categorization. And we talked a little bit about that before the show, actually, that, you know, it, it's not that I then hide behind it or hide inside my introversion. It's that, ah, oh, okay. I I see who I am now. Now I know kind of how I need to, what I need to do to be the best version of myself. So potentially the, for me, the reason that it's so important to be included in, in the DEI agenda is because it's probably affecting so many employees that I don't think we can afford to overlook it, but that's a hard sell. You know, I'm talking to organizations about it. It's a hard sell because what I don't want it to be is a tick box exercise. Oh, yeah, here's another thing to add to the, the DEI list. So it's a hard sell, but I'm not prepared to give up on it. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, we talked about that. The The label itself, it can be useful because it helps you get to know your, your strengths and needs. But, you know, it is at least 50% of the population. So we're not all alike, you know, and that's no. it. And I, often I get surprised responses when I say that it's 50% of the population. And it's because people are expecting introverts to all be quiet, not confident. And that's not the case. Sure. There are some that are quiet and not confident, but there's, I know some very outspoken introverts, but they're deep thinkers. And, and that's a, that's a, it's, so it's not about getting to the label. It's, you know, what do you need as, as an introvert or extrovert or, or your personality type? What's your strengths? Yeah, and I, I know how you feel about this, but t- let's tell everybody else. So, <laughs> what? Well, I know what where you're s- going. But... Yes, yes. What do you say is a is a, what is an ambervert? I hear that a lot when people are talking about this lab- the labels. Yeah, so I'll get on my soapbox just yeah, okay. for a moment or two <laughs> to talk about ambiverts. So, yeah. ambiversion. You know, there are ambiverts, but they are much much rarer than we think. People of of cottoned on to the label in terms of and and let's face it if you still search introvert there are still some fairly negative connotations and adjectives used to describe introverts so I can understand why people don't want to associate themselves as an introvert but what really does get my goat is when people who do need that quiet space to recharge their batteries then Actually, because I can 
present on a stage because I had can MC events of over a thousand people because I have done a TEDx talk because my role in life is as a trainer coach facilitator because I love socializing with the right people for a certain amount of time people go well you're not an introvert you must be an ambivert no (laughs) true ambiverts are those who are equally charged by being quiet and alone or in companionable silence as my husband and I often are and with any noisy loud interaction with any stranger as many extroverts are very happy to do and it's rare that you are equally charged in both of those situations for most of us I can use extrovert type behavior when I need to provided I've recharged or pre-charged and provided I've scheduled time for recharging afterwards. But that does not make me an ambivert. What that makes me is a fully functioning introvert who knows who's reading my social, emotional, mental battery charge so that I know when it's time to go recharge so that I don't get that route from overwhelm to introvert hangover to burnout. I stop myself doing that. But I can behave as as any fully functioning member of society. So ambiverts are few and far between. And let's not use it as an excuse or use it because introverts aren't thought of very kindly. Right, right. And, you know, my response to people is often, well, okay, fine, you could be that. But what are your strengths? What are your needs? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it really is about understanding that. And you mentioned you gave a TED talk, you're comfortable in public speaking. And I don't like those things to be called extrovert activities because I'm the same. I love, get, you know, I'm, I'm loving doing this podcast, doing this, yeah. talking with you. I, I can also get up and give a public speech in front of many people. But the difference for me is, like you said, I need to pre-charge. I love that word, pre-charge and recharge after. And, you know, after we're done talking, I'm going to take a little break. It's already scheduled for me, <laughs> even Snap. though I'm loving this conversation. But the other yep. thing I, I've really learned is I can give a great speech, but I have to prepare in a different way than my extroverted friend might. I need to take the time. and It's not scripted, but I need to think about, okay, what am I going to say? You know, what do I want to do? And probably think about it initially and then let it roll around in my head and make some yeah. tweaks in my mind. Like, what am I going to say? And that's different than my, because I've worked with a lot of extroverted colleagues. I've done speeches and presentations with a lot of extroverts. And that preparation piece is different. And I need to yeah. do what I need to do what I need to do and not worry about their process. And so that's different. But it doesn't make me an extrovert. It just means that <laughs> I understand my strengths and my needs as an introvert and I can do whatever I need to do. And, you know, yeah. I, I think this part's different for everybody. I hear some people say that they still get nervous. I don't. Because I, I realize, yeah. hey, you know what? I've got something great to share. I've, I've done my preparation. I might make a mistake because I'm a human being, but I don't get nervous anymore. And that's been wonderful for me because I used to get very nervous. Yeah. And I stu- still do get nervous. I mean, the most nervous I have ever been, bearing in mind I have emceed big events and have spoken at conferences, my TED Talk, and there were only 100 people in the audience the most nerve-wracking thing I have ever done because no slides, no notes. More than that, though, talking about something that really mattered to me. 
You know, when I'm doing the other stuff, I'm often talking about stuff that's in the public domain. This was from my personal domain and it really mattered. And I was, I was, you know, backstage beforehand kind of shaking out the stress because I really was very nervous. And if you listen really carefully to my TED talk, there's a moment not very far in when I hear my voice crack and it's where I said something that I hadn't, I didn't know I was going to say. And it's, it's where I said something like, I'm prepared to be the voice of the unheard introvert. And I didn't know I was going to say that. And as I said it, it kind of almost took my breath away because that's what it meant to me. That's how much this mission that I'm on really matters to me. And and you're right, you know, we we can all behave however we want. There's a difference between behaviours and needs. And behaviours, you know, anybody, introvert, extrovert, whatever, can behave however they want to or need to in a situation. It's just about how do we get ourselves ready for that and able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So... On this show, we definitely talk about the strengths of introverts that we have been. We talk about introvert needs and we bust some myths along with some strategies for success. So let's yeah. bust a couple myths. I already know one of yours. So what do you say to somebody that says introverts have nothing to say? <laughs> well, listen to us for starters. <laughs> so, you know, absolutely not true. The reason I think we get you know, that myth is around is because often people aren't good at listening. People aren't good at noticing. People don't have enough emotional intelligence to recognize that their tirade of, you know, verbalizing that they're doing isn't giving anyone else space in the conversation. But we absolutely have a lot to say for ourselves, as you're proving, as I'm proving, as Matthew Pollard proves, as all those other people who are working in the introvert space are proving. But what we probably don't do is the idle chit chat, gossipy weather, kind of what you did at the weekend stuff, because what we prefer are those deeper conversations that go with the deep thinking we do. We want to be I think most of the time we want to be stretched. We want to be challenged in some way, not just do the kind of pastiming stuff. But we certainly have a lot to say for ourselves. And part of the work I do, and I think you as well, is about helping people create the space so that they get into the conversation to prove to people that they have something worth saying. Yeah. And we're always thinking. So, of course, we have a lot to say. But there can be some barriers if you don't understand your introversion. You know, if you yeah. don't understand how you process information, how you might need to prepare for something. And I think one of the biggest barriers that we both talk about is the way we communicate. And let's see, I, I've talked about this before, but I really like how you say it. So you say that it, the extrovert is say, think, say, and the introvert is think, say, think. And that that's been like one of the biggest ahas for me. When I yeah. was getting certified doing the Myers-Briggs, the trainer said something like that. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's different. And so, yeah. you know, somebody's thinking out loud, the extrovert's thinking out loud and they're speaking and you're thinking and they're thinking you're being quiet while you're just thinking. 
So talk more about that. Why should we understand that? How does that make a difference in having our voices heard? I think it's partly the assumptions that people make when when we're doing our thinking. And you're right, they often think then that we don't have an opinion, we don't have anything to say, or or worse than that, they think that, you know, we're not smart because we're not chipping in with with ideas all the time. But for me, it's it's very much about if we really want to create an equitable society, you know, an equitable workplace that values differences, then it's really important that we help people recognize those two different communication processes. Because you're right, the extroverts tend to do that kind of say, think, say, which means they're not necessarily attached to what they've said. They may not even remember it a few minutes later. I've worked with so many extroverts and they'll, you know, if I if I replay something back to them because I'm a listener, they'll say, I didn't say that, did I? Well, yes, you did actually. And if we if we're not allowing the introverts with their think, say, think process to come into the conversation, we are missing gold because of the thinking, because introverts, when they're doing their listening, they're also noticing. So one of the things I say is that I notice what's not being said as well as what's being said. So, you know, let's create the space in the conversation for me to be able to say, you know, I noticed that I was aware that, you know, about something that's gone on in the meeting, not just this kind of, you know, whoever shouts the loudest is the one who gets noticed. Because remember, with the extroverts doing their say, think, say, typically what's happening is just the top of their head, not necessarily thought through. Now, that's not a criticism, because there are times I wish I could be a bit more like that because they have that spontaneity, but that will rarely get to the root cause of an issue. That's more likely just to create a sticking plaster that we can put over the presenting kind of issue rather than the root cause. So it really is important that what we do is value those differences and know that actually, why don't we all take a few moments just to reflect on this and then have the conversation? rather than just kind of let's dig straight into it. I remember when I was training for Myers-Briggs, we did that exercise with the matchsticks. Did you do that one? Where the introvert... Yes, I think I did. Yeah, go ahead. And and it's such a perfect explanation of what happens because from memory, we were all given something like five matchsticks and we were put into mixed groups of introverts, extroverts, given a topic to discuss. And every time you had something to say, you had to hand in one of your matchsticks. And of course, what happened very quickly was the extroverts were out of matchsticks and couldn't say anymore. And the introverts were all sat there with their matchsticks because they'd been listening and thinking and could then take the conversation on forward. And I'll never forget that exercise because for me, that really, you know, epitomizes that think, say, think rather than say, think, say. So, you know, it's so important that we invite and allow people to have their thinking time and not judge it as a weakness but actually see it as the strength it is yeah yeah one of the teachers i was talking about earlier she gave her students chips sometimes and sometimes she would sneak a couple extra to the introverts but i just thought that was such a great idea and you know sometimes we could use that in meetings like everybody has a certain number of chips (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely so 
In addition to understanding our communication styles, how ours might be different, what are are there other strategies that you have that to help someone when they, they feel like their voice is not being heard? Yeah, I think there are a whole range of things that we can do here. One of the things I often encourage the people I work with, because some of them are already managers and leaders, but you know, less dominant, let's say, than some of the other managers and leaders they work with. So I encourage them to have pre-meeting meetings so that they either speak to the chair of the meeting and they really get the chance to influence the agenda, which is an important thing to do. But if we're in the meeting and you've probably sat around meetings like I have where you see people go, sorry, this isn't very good on a podcast when you can't see what I'm doing, but I'm kind of (laughs) leaning forward and raising my finger like I want to say something and everyone just ignores it. And the technique that I encourage people to use is what I refer to as the placeholder technique. And this is where I get my voice in the room, even if I'm not quite sure what I want to say yet. So because of my think, say, think process, You know, if somebody asks me for a contribution and I'm not quite ready, or if I notice there's a gap and I want to get in there, my placeholder will be something like, you know, that's a really interesting point. As as I'm reflecting on it now, I notice that there are several things coming up for me. So I'm almost externalizing my process. But what it's doing is it's keeping me in the conversation rather than what we sometimes do as introverts, which is lean back in our chair, kind of, you know, rest our hand, our head into our hands or our chin into our hand and do thinking. But we're not communicating that what we're doing to the rest of the people in the meeting is I'm thinking The the analogy I love here is the cash machine analogy. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but someone once told me, and I hope it's true because it's brilliant. I hope it's true is that they could engineer cash machines that are completely silent. But that freaks, when they did the tests, apparently, that freaks people out because you give it your card and then has it eaten it? Has it, has, you know, is anything going to happen? So they engineer in those whirring noises so that you're reassured that something is happening. And I think there are times where introverts need to, <laughs> need to almost engineer the cash machine noise into their conversation. It's almost like I need to let you know what's happening for me. So as I'm sitting here thinking about this, one of the things I notice is blah, 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 all before I get to what I'm actually saying. So rather than just make a statement, get into that conversation with the placeholder, externalize, if possible, your process so that people know what's happening And if they're a confident introvert, I think it's really helpful for them to really name that in terms of, well, you know me or, you know, you know, I'm not the not the person who speaks the most. And that's because I need to think things through. And that's exactly what I'm doing as you were asking that question. I was thinking about what is my response here? So what we're doing is we're educating people at the same time that what's going on for the quiet ones is not us stuck, but actually us kind of getting into our own heads and thinking about what it is we want to contribute. Oh, I love that. I, I'm going to remember that cash machine because we really need to establish that we have some things to say, we're going to contribute. And, yeah. you know, sometimes maybe we wait till the end of the meeting and we say something, but 
the conversation has already gone in a completely different direction. So we need to establish yeah. that we have things to say, even if we don't say them right up front. So I really like that. And also just helping people get to know you that, you know what, I have some needs. I had a different guest that shared how she was in this situation where I don't remember her position in the company, but the CEO would always turn to her and, and say, you know, let's hear what you have to say on this because he knew that she was processing everything, listening like we talked about earlier and really thinking, being yeah. reflective on what's going on. And he really valued her opinion, even though she wasn't the loudest in the room. Yeah, nice. I've I've had one of my clients who's suggested that what they do now in their senior team meetings is is if there is a bit of flexibility on when a decision has to be made, they'll talk about it in the meeting and then say, I'm going to leave this item open until the end of the day. So if anybody on reflection has anything they want to add, come to me by the end of the day. And again, that's a nice process because it gives us you know, a chance to reflect on and still contribute in a way that's meaningful. We do also need to develop the skills to get it into the room, but at least that's a halfway, which is great. Yeah. And that's, that's such a great strategy to really, you know, be inclusive of, of everybody and everybody's strength is, yeah, uh, you know, giving some time to think. So Joe, I've been enjoying your podcast, the Flourishing Introvert Talks. And share with everybody what what does it mean to be flourishing we've kind of talked about it throughout the show but what what is your definition yeah. of a flourishing introvert it's interesting the way the name of of the business came up really because i i knew when i was setting this up i knew it had to be something but i could didn't know what it was and i woke up one morning and the word flourishing was just in my mind and of course being the researcher that i am i went away and looked it up what it meant and of course, it was all the right things about, you know, and being able to grow and develop in a particularly suitable environment. That matters, actually. But then I found, because I'm also into positive psychology, I found Dr. Lynn Soot's definition of flourishing. And it kind of took my breath away because it exactly epitomizes how I want introverts to experience life, actually. And she talks about it being the product of the pursuit and engagement of an authentic life. Great. So we're not pretending. We're not pretending to be something we're not. That brings joy and happiness. Who doesn't need that? I know I do, especially, you know, I am I am essentially a happy person. I'm not a kind of down in the mouth person. And then it goes on through meeting goals, being connected with life's passions. So we have meaningful work to do. We have things that we're pursuing and relishing in accomplishments through the peaks and valleys of life. And for me, that whole thing together is just the perfect description for me of what it means to flourish. So we're doing meaningful work. We're doing things that matter to us. We have goals. We're pursuing passions. And we're acknowledging that things don't always go our way. So rather than scurrying back into my comfort zone when things get tough, what I need to do is go, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what this valley is all about. And funny enough, this week's episode for me was very much around that, around the peaks and valleys of life again. And, and one of the things that I said was that 
it's almost like I've learned now how to fall safely. So going into the valleys felt like free falling for me. It's like, oh, no, here we go again, kind of a bit despondent and, you know, that sort of thing. But what I realized is that if I learn how to fall safely and stop trying to grab and grasp onto things to stop me falling so that I can get back out again, if I just allow myself to free fall safely, I can then kind of be there in the valley and 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 stay curious, be still, understand why I'm there, kind of what triggered it, what I need to do, what's the right plan for me to now get out of the valley, back up to the level ground so that I can move on up to the peaks. And that's given me so much kind of security, actually, because I'm not panicky now about when I find myself, oh, on the dip down the roller coaster, back down the peak down to the valley it's like okay yeah I know this journey I'm an experienced traveler now I know this journey and this one might look slightly different to the last one but there's no need to panic and there's no need to then retreat and contract I can stay expansive in that place of often despondency and often kind of oh we're here again really but actually I can stay expansive so that what I'm doing is learning from it so that I can take that learning on with me. So sorry, that was a very long after to your answer to your question about flourishing. Yeah, no, beautiful. I I love it. That's a great definition. And, and we are going to have peaks and valleys. And again, like, you know, as you go through life, you figure out, Oh, this is normal. It wouldn't be life if it wasn't. But yeah. we can understand, you know, I'm going to learn something from this, but it's not the end of the world. And just Absolutely. with flourishing, with flourishing, it's, it is doing that meaningful work, but understanding that you're bringing your own gifts, your own strengths. And, you know, we all have different gifts for whatever reason. I don't, I haven't figured that one yeah. out yet, but, but, you know, that's, that's the beautiful part of it. It's you can flourish when you understand who you are. Yeah. And And then it's like, I'm a, I'm an integral part of the tapestry of life. So, you know, yes, we are all different and we need to be. And and part of the problems in organisations is when they recruit in in their own like and therefore we lose that necessary diversity. And and so what we do need to do is is really take the time to recognise what the strengths are of each individual I love the TED talk by Professor Amy Edmondson, where she's talking about teaming. And in there, I mean, she was the one who first came up with the phrase psychological safety and bless her for that, because that's been enormous in terms of our understanding of what needs to happen so that introverts can work on on a level playing field, if you like. But she also talks there about, you know, from a film, a Harvard professor, and she quotes him as saying, look to your left, look to your right. Next term, one of you won't be here. And she talks about how damaging and and unnecessarily competitive that is. And what she says is, I really encourage you to look to your left, look to your right and understand how quickly can you get to know the strengths of those people and what they need. And that for me is a true leader. That for me is someone who is making a difference and allowing people to show up fully. 
Yeah, I love that concept of psychological safety. That's that's where all this is going, you know. Let's it use is. our strengths and feel good about it, feel safe. And I've definitely been in yeah. situations where I haven't felt that safety. Oh, me too. Yeah, me too, definitely. And I think that was one of the reasons why I pretended for nearly two decades, or just over two decades, actually, to be something I wasn't because I didn't feel safe. I mean, I've been called some horrendous names by professionals. I was, I won't swear on the show, but I was called Dullers, and it starts with an F. You can imagine what that is. You know, I've been called boring, stuck up, arrogant, all of those things because I keep myself to myself to preserve my mental batteries and because I don't I don't do drama unnecessary drama. I don't see the point of it, but that has led to me being called all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. I don't do drama either. Joe, this has been such a great conversation. We could probably go on for hours. Is there anything <laughs> I else? Think so. that, yeah, is there anything else that you want to say before we end to, that you haven't said already? Oh, probably, but I wouldn't be able to get it in before we need to end, actually, David. So, <laughs> but the, my, I think my main message is is get to know who you really are, own your strengths and play to them, but also learn how to articulate your strengths positively. So quick story, and again, many people who listen may recognize this, the number of times people have said to us, oh, you're so quiet, aren't you? You know, you wouldn't think it now listening to the two of us. But and in the past, I would have mumbled some kind of apology. Oh, yeah, sorry. You know, these days, I say something like, thank you for noticing, you know, one of my real strengths as an introvert is that I'm a great listener. And as I'm listening, it's not only to what's being said and what's not, it's what's not being said. So I can assimilate ideas and make sure everyone's included. And like, I can do that best when I'm quiet. So thank you for noticing. Uh, what a difference that is rather than mumbling some apology. And because often introverts will find interviews stressful, I say for every strength you identify, find a way to articulate it positively and it'll make a world of difference yeah that's the key yeah we kids adults it's hard to come back from that question why are you so quiet but yeah you, yeah. you described a, a great strategy describe what you, what's going on you know i'm thinking you know and it's a good thing yeah <laughs> yeah oh joe absolutely. this has been great tell us of course where people can find out connect with you find out more about the great work that you do the one-stop shop for everything is flourishingintroverts.com, the web website. You'll see my podcast, my TV show, the occasional blogs, downloadable, freebie downloadables, you know, all sorts of things are there, just flourishingintroverts.com. Thank you. And I'll add that to the show notes. Thanks again, Joe. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to further connecting with you. Reach out at david at quietandstrong.com. Or check out the quietandstrong.com website, which includes blog posts, links to social media, and other items. Send me topics or guests you would like to see on the show. If you're interested in getting to know yourself better, there's now a free Type Finder personality assessment on the Quiet and Strong website. This free assessment will give you a brief report, including the four-letter Myers-Briggs code. I'll add a link to the show notes. 
There's so many great things about being an introvert, so we need those to be understood. Get to know your introverted strengths and needs and be strong.